I think that's it. That's close to it. That's pretty good, actually. Is it? Yeah, that was pretty close. I think. Maybe we should hear the real one, just to make sure. And intro! Jenna. Hey, what's up? Welcome. Hi. To the Art of Murder, your podcast. For all things art and murder. Excellent. Yeah. Who are you? I'm Julie. Oh, hi. You're Jenna. I am Jenna. Hi. That's why I called you Jenna earlier. You did. You did, didn't I, you? I did. I wasn't paying attention. It's okay. It's fine. I was waiting for my <laughs> intro, but she never gave it to me, so whatever. I didn't. I'm, I'm not, so sorry. I'm not bitter. I don't care about anybody else but myself. I'm so close to you right now. I, I feel know. Like I need to rest my hand on your knee. Sure. You're more than welcome to. Thank you. We should have just done this on the couch. Probably. <laughs> so we're not in our usual location. You might hear a bit of an echoey noise. Actually, sounds like we're in a catacomb. Nice. I know. It's very ambient. Toasty. <laughs> it's so to- <laughs> it is toasty in here. It is toasty. Um, tea. Yeah, we got our tea. I just finished doing a pee, so our TP is done. Nice. Um, anything? Maybe we should bring a few things up. Okay, go ahead. So I've got some corrections that I definitely need to make. <laughs> Three in particular. One so, is my favorite. <laughs> so uh, in my speaking, I spoke wrong. Uh, I want to say that it's Jacob Marley, not Bob Marley. Who is the ghost that comes back <laughs> to haunt Ebenezer Scrooge? Uh, that would be cool if there was a Bob Marley. I, I thought when she said that, I actually thought, oh, and I thought, I don't, I don't know of this version. In my head, I kind of had a story going on, like that's got to be a cool version, and I just yeah. didn't say anything because I'm like, I don't know much, so it probably happened. I believed you until <laughs> I was wrong. It was very wrong. It was very wrong. But it was a good wrong. Yeah, it, it actually it actually made for an excellent episode title. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my second one, uh, in my in my section where I mentioned Ed Gein, uh, he his, he wasn't forced to wear women's clothing. His mom was just very very controlling, and that in turn made him start dressing like a girl, and then killing people and skinning them, and wanting to fashion an outfit out of their skin. Right, but you know what? It's fine. That wasn't even your story. So no. you like just kind of threw that out. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so I don't. You know what? I don't think you need to correct that. Well, I just okay. wanted to make sure because people are just going to start using that. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to give false information. I don't want to be. I don't want to be like one of those fake news people. <laughs> I'm going to say false information. Okay. That's randomly. fair. That's fair. Okay. Um, I think I had a third one. Oh, yes, I did. Um, so uh, in the Jack Ripper part, when I was talking, uh, I had mentioned about potentially one of his very first victims. Her name was Martha, not Mary. I was wrong. And uh, yeah, in, if you look at her Instagram uh, post about my story, you'll see a picture of her. Her name's like Martha Trabums or something like that. Look at me. I'm ha- going to have to do it like a second. Look at no. And also the dates. Oh, 
Did I have dates wrong? September 20th. Oh, yes. September 30th. You're the best. Okay. So <laughs> the biggest one of all. <sighs> it's Look, okay. we make mistakes. Nobody's paying attention Nobody. to the dates. Really. Except, except Zoe. Hi, Zoe. Yeah. Our, oh, is she the one who commented on the date? No, no, no. Oh. But I'm just saying like, she's the only one that's like, yeah, well, and her and Dan. Henry instead of Richard? <laughs> yeah, I did. That's okay. Thanks for correcting us, Zoe, on that one. I fixed it. Um, so... In the story, I talk about this letter that was received uh, to the uh, to a, a newspaper um, company, and I had said that it, it was received sometime after October first. But I had said that the murders of the two girls on the same day was September twentieth. It is not. It is actually, in fact, September thirtieth, which makes total sense chronologically. I, I apologize. Ugh, I just choked on myself. It's cool. I'm so sorry. I apologize. Yeah. Don't apologize. Mm, okay. Um, so I've got a story that I would, would like to tell Please. you. Please. Uh, it's a pretty short one uh, this week just because of everything going on. Um, Halloween's coming up. I'm really excited. Excited you're going to be at our Halloween party. Oh, you're, be awesome. you're talking about your story that you have right now. Yeah. It's, I thought it, you had an, an, a personal story that you were going to share right now. I was really excited. I'm like, I don't know about this story. Hmm. Yeah. We are just... Any? Put Sorry. it out there and then take it back. But we pretty much talk every night. So that's true. You know everything that's, true. that's going on. You know what? I also, I, I kind of want to make a note oh. that sometimes people listen and we talk about our future and how we're going to be, you know, people are going to be listening to this and we're going to go on tour. I hope you know that we're doing this because we're having a good time. Yeah. Um, I'm like, does that make a sound, you know, like we're full of ourselves? No, listen, <laughs> if we got five, five listeners, I almost said viewers. Nope. Uh, well, we're going to do some, some videos. Yeah, hopefully. Um, if we got five listeners, we're winning. Okay. Yes. In our hearts. That's awesome. So we know of a couple. Yep. And thank you for listening. Yeah. If you want to tell your friends or family or anything about that, that's awesome. And Jenna mentioned Zoe. Yes. Zoe is a fantastic, wonderful, amazing oil painter mm -hmm. who I want to learn from. Anyway, we just want to give a shout out to her. Yeah, Zoe Zorick. Check out her artwork. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. It's really awesome. Yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll give some more shout outs too, maybe for anybody who like shares a lot and tries to help us get some more listeners. I mean... You know what? The first hundred people to write to us, we are going to give you a personal shout out. <gasps> oh, that's it a great It might take idea. 300 years to get those yeah. first hundred. Yeah. What's our email again, Jenna? At artofmurderpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can private message us on Instagram as well or Facebook, I think. Yeah. 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 Uh, Instagram, you can check us out at Art of Murder. The Art of Murder. The Art of Murder. Yeah. And then Facebook is T uh, T A O M podcast uh, just go to facebook and yeah. look up the, the art, art of murder, murder and then click on the message button <laughs> I, I do have a funny story though Ooh. some random guy Ooh. tagged us in his post and it was oh, about did you see that okay, i couldn't find the okay tell me yes. it's in his comments i don't know he's like i want to thank someone someone and the art of murder and some other person and i was like okay this he, is nothing he had messed, messed up yeah i, I, I didn't so. i looked it up and i said somebody tagged the art of murder and, I, and when i clicked on it, mm -hmm. it it wouldn't bring me anywhere so i wonder if he deleted he it he might have deleted it but i'm like oh this is so cool so yeah. somebody listened and then tagged us yeah and then it was a mistake and <laughs> i cried myself to sleep Aww. oh man someone will tag us eventually again we're so gonna get our sixth listener really soon. <gasps> yes, it's yes. Be great. Oh my god! Can you imagine if we had six listeners? What? Well, how many followers do we have on Instagram? I think it's like 
I don't, I'm, I'm going to say 50, but that might be too much. Uh, I think it's 50, 51. <gasps> How many do we have, Julie? Let's see. Let's see. <laughs> Drum roll. What? 55. Holy smokes. 56. Holy smokes. I swear it just went up. There was, was a, f- a high pitch one. No, that was awesome. Like, that's awesome. Thank you to our followers. Yeah, thank you. And there's a few podcasts, too, that started following us. That's uh, right. There's like um, uh, Bitches and Booze or Bitches and Witches. They do like a supernatural podcast. I don't know. They're brand new, oh, too. yeah. Bitchcraft. Bitchcraft. They're yeah. brand new, too. Um, but listen to us first, please. And then we'll give you some recommendations. <laughs> or listen to them and then listen to us. Oh, yeah, that's true. But just yeah. listen to us. Yeah, listen to us. Yeah. Because uh, we got a lot to say. <laughs> well, they're, they're listening right now, so they already are listening to us. That's true. You are. That's awesome. You guys are awesome. Yeah. We love you. Thank you so much uh, for all... And all the feedback, too. Like, honestly, it is very helpful for us when we start kind of when we find we're finding our groove so all the feedback is is very helpful to us to kind of know you know we we what we enjoy doing and then you know what engage what kind of engagement you that's true you you we people. Said five episodes we're getting five episodes out and then we'll do you know the, this is gonna be our third one oh. we're almost there oh yeah, yeah. Our third but secretly our fourth but our third one mm-hmm. nice good you know there you go secret secret and then we then we're reevaluating. yes but we won't change anything <clears throat> because that's too much work. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so I don't know why I'm saying that. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, anything else we've got? Do you have anything? Uh, oh, no. You know what? I wish I would remember what Tyler had said I have. He says I have a condition and I forget the name <gasps> of it. It's when, I know. It's when I say words and um, there. Now, I will. I w- I'm going to throw the French card out one more time. Now, first of all, I will say that I say a lot of words that I think is the right word, but it's not. So it sounds very similar. I will admit that, Mo- especially when we're like in the heat of the moment, just because I'm huge at just getting the idea out. Secondly, I do sometimes say things a little bit differently that I could be saying it right, but it sounds wrong as well because I have a little bit, I don't want to say a speech impediment, but like sometimes things, (laughs) letters or sounds will come out and I don't know. I don't know if it's a French thing. I'm not sure, but we're going to say it's a French thing. Yeah. And I think that's reasonable. If you don't understand something that I say or a word I meant, please Email us and we'll give you a shout out. Yeah. <laughs> now, if you're really mean, you're going to make us cry. So please be gentle, but you can totally make fun of my language. Anyway, whatever. We'll figure out. out that secret word Tyler said I had. Yeah, it was, it was a fun I said Because I said when we were in the heat of the moment and I was trying to get an idea out, I said, um, um, antidote. Yeah. When I meant to say anecdote. anecdote. So it's the k- didn't come out. I'm an antidote. Which was very fitting anecdote. to the story. It's true. Because yeah. it was Work. a poison antidote. That's right. And <sighs> no, yeah. Okay, now I can't even say anyway. Okay, so you know what, Jenna? Yeah. We're done talking. Are we? I want you to talk. And I want you to tell me something. Oh, I'm going to. I'm going to so. tell you uh, a, uh, an interesting story today. Um, we're going we're gonna to take this uh, um, into a world of maybe an artist dying. So I have, we've covered, we've covered artists who kill, we've covered killers who become artists, uh, we've covered potential artists that could be murderers, we've talked about culinary arts, we've talked about cannibal, like the art of cannibalism, and art of poison. the art of poison, and now we're getting into an artist who unfortunately met um, his timely death. And it's a really sad one. Uh, I remember growing up watching him on TV all the time. And, uh, well, maybe you you know who this person is. 
But uh, I would like to... <laughs> I looked okay. down at her paper. Did you see what no, I... No, I didn't. Okay. So uh, I'm going to paint you a picture. Okay. Okay. A man in his late 30s stands in front of a bright pink screen. You almost forget he's standing there. The pink background is just so bright and glaring. The man says, what am I going to do for you? Just some character stuff and some different things. I won't take a lot of your time. Who is this man? And why does he matter? Well, what I'm describing to you is the start of Phil Hartman's audition tape for a spot on the very famous sketch comedy show, Saturday Night Live. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, this audition would be one of the most important reels. Lauren Michaels, who is, you know, the creator of SNL and helped produce 30 Rock and a whole bunch of different, very, very famous um, television shows. Yep. Uh, would ever see. And this, along with the alum from season 12, saved the deteriorating, almost canceled show in 1986. Phil Hartman became a, a comedy staple in the 80s and 90s, appearing in movies like Jingle All the Way. Do you remember that movie from the Christmas movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Oh, yeah. Mm hmm And yes. Sinbad. Yeah, yeah. It's like one, one of my favorite Christmas movies that I'm able to stand to watch. I like Christmas movies. Oh. I know. Christmas will be fun with this. It will. Yeah, this will make it fun. Uh, Coneheads. You remember the... Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. And so I married an axe murderer with Mike, Mike Myers. My, okay. Yeah. Yep. Uh, along Coneheads. with TV shows like News Radio, which starred like Andy Dick and... Um, oh, there was, a, there was a bunch of pretty famous comedians. The Simpsons. Pee-wee's Playhouse. <gasps> And as I mentioned, Saturday Night Live. Harmon was a man of many characters, and honestly, he could have taken all the time he needed. Unfortunately, on May 28, 1998, he was shot in the head while he slept by his wife. Okay. So, today I would like to tell you a little bit of his life uh, and tell you that he's actually Canadian. He's just one of the many masters of comedy that we, as Canadians, are proud Yay. to say is ours. So... Uh, Phil was born September 24th, 1948. Happy, very belated birthday in Brantford, Ontario. I have a couple of friends from Brantford. Hi, Justin. Uh, to Doris, Marguerite, and Rupert Hartman. He was the fourth of, eight, fourth of eight kids. Being somewhere in the middle, he had a hard time getting affection and attention from his folks. He learned to adapt and find the attention from others around him. This might have been one of the reasons why comedy seemed to fit for him. In 1958, at the age of 10, his family all moved down to the States. Uh, around this time, Hartman was slowly becoming a funny man, and they pegged him as sort of the class clown in all, in, throughout elementary school and high school. But after he was done high school, he went to study art at Santa Monica City College, then dropped out to become a roadie. All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when that didn't work out, he, turned, he went back to school and found a successful career with graphic design and started his own business. His primary focus was album cover art, which he created over 40 different covers for bands as like Crosby and Nash, Poco, America, and Steely Dan. Um, Phil's first sort of like role uh, on TV was when he landed a gig on the episode, an episode of The Dating Game. He won. <laughs> really? Yep. Mm -hmm. So this, this, the dating game was like you actually go on to try to get a date? Yes. Nice. Yeah. But his date stood him up after uh, he won. I know. Uh, I know. But all was not lost. He continued to run his small graphic design business. Uh, but being the sole owner and creator, it left him kind of bored and very isolated. 
So he decided to start like doing voice work and like creating oh, these characters in his alone fun. time. Yeah. So to keep him company. Kind of like what we're doing now. This is not a real voices. Right. This is our voice work. This is our voice work. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> that was so weird. Okay. So um, many of the voices that he created, actually, he kept kept uh, sort of in the back of his head. He used them for SNL and, and The Simpsons, too, which is kind of cool. Which character was he in The Simpsons? Oh, I'll tell you. Oh, I'll okay. tell you. I jumped ahead. Because I, I have a little oh, oh, yeah. thing. Okay. <laughs> so, um, and because he was removed so much from, like, being able to socialize, he decided to kind of seek something out himself to get him more socialized with things. So he started, he decided to take an evening comedy class and uh, the comedy class was run by a company called the groundlings. And one evening while watching a group perform, he decided to just jump on stage and join the, join the group. Uh, It was his eagerness to explore new things and be different that landed him on this new path. So because of this comedy venture, we've got him now like going, this is, this is a great idea. I should do this. So after years of studying and training, he was offered a spot in the comedy group. And by 1979, he was like one of their star performers. Now, when I mention, I'm going to mention a few names and I want to see if you can figure out where these guys come from. Uh. So Globy, Cherry, Jombie, if I say Mecca Lecca High, Mecca Heine Ho, or Ice Cream Soup. Nope. Okay. That's all right. So... All of these things come from Pee-wee's Playhouse. Never seen it in my life. Oh my god! I'm gonna have to introduce you to uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. It's this like one a, of my this favorite. This is a movies. '90s thing, right? Oh, totally. I only spoke French. Well, in the it's '80s. '80s. Oh, '80s. Sorry. I was only yeah, definitely French. <laughs> oh, in the 80s. well, I will have to introduce you to one of my favorite movies of all time. And I should clarify: early '90s. I started speaking English in the late '90s. They didn't have like a dub of it. It was like a very. Well, we also barely had TV. Oh, okay. Remember? Well, fair, fair. <laughs> well, you and I will sit down and do some homework of watching some PB's Playhouse and seeing how fucked up our childhoods were. Like Excellent. it was crazy. It's like who dropped acid and did this? But it was so much fun. It was such a great show. All right. Um, yes. Yeah, so this was a TV show from the ni- in the nineteen eighties. And it was a massive hit. And this is all thanks to the comedy group, the Groundlings, that he belonged to, that Phil Hartman belonged to. And he met Paul Rubens there. So Paul Rubens uh, would soon be known as Pee Wee Herman. He, okay. Both of them developed the character, and Hartman kind of helped him flesh out a stage performance with mm-hmm. Pee Wee. So they created uh, Pee Wee Herman, the Pee Wee Herman Show, uh, which aired on HBO in 1981. And Hartman actually had a character. His character name was uh Captain Carl. And so he, 1981? Yeah, 1981. Okay. So this was just the stage performance and HBO recorded it oh, and then aired it on okay, there. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so um, uh, Hartman actually got to reprise his role as Captain Carl when, because of the success of how well this, I don't know, stage performance and, and broadcast did, um, they turned it into a TV, like a, a full five-season TV show. Um, but what they decided to do, for, they, they did something first. They both uh, Rubens and Hartman wrote a full-length featured film called Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure. And it was directed by Tim Burton. Okay. You know. I've heard, well, I know who Tim Burton yeah. is. I've heard of that movie. Obviously, never seen it. It's, so, it's, a, it's awesome. I think because I didn't know the whole Pee Wee Herman anything. Like, I knew of him, but I didn't really, you know, watch anything. So It's okay. Yeah. We'll watch it someday. Okay. It'll I be like it. it's a fun it's a fun movie. I know what he watch. looks like. 
Yeah. Yeah. And he does like the ha ha. Yes. Kind of thing. Um, <laughs> I just heard a ding and it's something from my computer. Okay. Oh. Remove You're that. asking me to hear. I don't no, have the headset fine. on. That's right. You don't. <laughs> Whoops. Okay. I'm like, is this part of the story right now? <laughs> I don't know. Do I say yes? <laughs> I hear voices. We hear voices. All right. <clears throat> so there was a successful movie, full-length feature movie done by Tim Burton. And we got five seasons of this wonderful TV kids show, which was Peavy's Playhouse. But Hartman was feeling stale around the time the TV show launched in 1986. There was a lot of tension between Phil and Paul over creative differences. We see it a lot. Like there yeah. are, like it happens yeah. and they couldn't work it out. How we get into fights all the time? All the time. All the time. All the time. They're so bad, like <laughs> scarring. We're having one right now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, luckily, we can work our stuff, our shit out, but, you yes. know, uh, Phil, on the other hand, he was ready to actually, like, quit the whole, quit Ooh. both writing and acting, but he decided instead to move on to something else. So he took roles in movies called uh, Jumping Jack Flash. I've never seen this movie, but he also starred, or he was in uh, The Three, Am- uh, Three Amigos. So this movie has Chevy Chase, Martin Short, and Steve Martin. And it was a pretty big success. Like right. It's a pretty well-known movie. Uh, and this was just before he auditioned for Saturday Night Live. Uh, he, he said, uh, so because partly due to the creative box he was working in with Pee Wee, he stated, I wanted to do SNL because I wanted to get the exposure that would give me box office credibility so I could write movies for myself. And just prior to his death, he actually had written a bunch of scripts that he was planning on getting produced. Uh, But unfortunately, because of his death, it didn't happen. One too many bullets in the head? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. That'll do it. It would. Um, Okay, where am I? Oh, here, I found a fun fact about SNL. Did you know Andy Warhol directed an episode in 1981? I did not. Yep, he did. It's, I'm like, that's how big SNL was at the time. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I had mentioned earlier, it almost got canceled. If it weren't for the season 12 cast members and there's like the strong writing, they had a really strong writing team. You had John Lovitz, Dennis Miller, Dana Carvey, Kevin Nealon, sorry, Kevin Nealon, Jane Hooks. Then soon came like the Mike Myers, another great Canadian, uh, Chris Farley, Adam Sandler. Many sites I had like sourced a lot of this information because I did look up the, the yeah. history of SNL and um, they kind of mentioned how Eddie Murphy may have single handedly saved the show back in 1981. But it, if it weren't for this season 12 cast, None of none of what we know and see of SNL would have happened. They they really paved the way for the future, for the next decade of how SNL should be written and I guess presented to its audience. Um, So Phil's audition in 1986 uh, happened, and he was hired as a cast member and as a writer. So he became part of the writing team. Oh, that's fun. Mm -hmm. And was dubbed the glue because he just kept everybody together, everything together. And he, he kind of like, yeah, when you're the glue, you make everything stick. <laughs> and we, we, we were very lucky that we got eight 
uh, incredible seasons from him until 1994 when he decided to leave. Um, during his stay, though, with SNL, he did other roles. Now let's talk about them. Uh, on The Simpsons, voicing some very memorable characters, such as I'm Troy McClure. You may remember me from such movies as blah, 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 blah. Remember that one? Yep. Okay. And my name is Lanley, Lyle Lanley. Well, sir, there's nothing on earth like a genuine, bona fide, electrified six-car monorail. What did I say? Monorail. What's it called? Monorail. 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 Yeah, it's like one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> I don't know that song. Right? I don't know it anymore. I don't know anything about Simpsons. I wasn't able to watch it as a kid, but this was a very memorable episode to watch. It was like one of the big ones. I know, because I think they replayed it a bunch of times. Yeah. yeah. They, and uh, the other cool fact, too, that I found out was, uh, you, have you watched Futurama before? Yes. So the character of Zap Brannigan was actually created specific, like Matt Groening created his character, this character, just for Phil Hartman. Oh. I know. And it, and it was just about to start recording prior to his death. And then when Billy West came in to like take over the role mm -hmm. billy west had been uh uh quoted in an interview stating that he did the voice almost like phil hartman because he wanted to give that role the phil hartman touch right yeah like that's i nice. think that's so such kind of a like the wonderful way he can honor him like yeah because you're you're filling a big you're filling a big role you're filling yeah. big shoes so i think that's pretty awesome <clears throat> so then he went on to star in the hit TV show News Radio from 1995 until 1998. So you've got a little bit of a background of who he is. So let's talk about his personal life. Yes. Phil was married to two women. Uh, At prior the same time? <laughs> <laughs> no, I That's think... That's probably what the problem was. Oh, well, That's I don't know. That's probably what the problem was? Yeah. Yeah, I think okay. that, that works. That works. Uh, no, he was married to... Two women prior to his third oh, wife. Oh. Does that that make, that works out now? Um, he remained friends with the one, the, his second wife, Lisa Strain, because that's important. Pin that. But he married Bryn Omdahl. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. I'm so sorry. O M D A H L. Whatever. It's fine. I don't know how to pronounce anything. <laughs> I still say it. Well. Um, Segawa. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that name's in the heart. I, I just feel bad. Okay, no, I don't feel bad. I'm not apologizing. No. My name is Bryn. Let's just call it Bryn. This is the one who shot him in the head? Yes. I don't. Yeah, no, you won't. You, you definitely. Okay. Yeah. In, in, yeah, anyways. Okay. Uh, so they married in November 1987. They met actually on a blind date. She was a model and aspiring actress, but always felt like she was stuck in Hartman's shadow because of his success. She wanted like the same level, but it just didn't happen for her. And it seemed to have led her to f a life of like alcohol and narcotics. Right. So the couple had two kids, Sean and, and Birgen. Uh, many of Phil's friends said he always kept in character and no one truly knew who the real Phil was. But the one constant that people did see and understand was that he loved his kids so much. He tried to do his best to, like, spend as much time with him. But his marriage was strained due to the jealousy, and he even considered retiring acting to save his marriage. That's pretty honorable. Like, that that's a pretty honorable. big thing to do. You're, you're this high—you're you're the 
on the top of your game in this in the comedy world and to kind of take make that sacrifice for your wife is a pretty big deal was she it, it is now i'm not speaking on her behalf directly mm. you know a marriage you got sometimes have to make sacrifices to make it work so yes. that's if anything that's your real life where your performance is just it, i don't want to say just a job like as if it's not you know but i do kind of see where he's coming from yeah you know whether you should do that or not that's a total personal choice it but is. Yeah, your marriage and your family is is the core, right? Everything else is just bonus. Yes, so. I I agree with that. I didn't. I don't need to add anything else. No. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to bring you know both sides. Where no, part a- of it is like. Well, she domineering? Not that I'm trying to defend her by any means, okay? I don't think you want to. No, I don't. what I'm going to say You next. make choices. You have choices. That's right. Absolutely. So, uh, <laughs> I read one article in the New York Daily News. So, his second wife, we're talking Lisa Strain. Okay. Remember? Friend. Uh, yep. Yep. After the birth of Phil's son, Sean... Uh, she sent like a congratulations card, which is really nice to say like, yay, you yeah. had your first baby. That's pretty freaking rad. Uh, but what Lisa said came back to her was a chilling four page letter written by her by Hartman's third no. wife, Bryn, threatened. This is a direct quote, threatening her life and warning her to never come near her husband or she would rip my eyes out. That's a like, bon quote unquote, rip my eyes out. When Lisa called Hartman to ask him what the deal was, he took partial blame for the incident, saying that when Bryn asked him about the, his relationship with Lisa, he stated Lisa was his soulmate and that set her off. The weird, uh-huh. this is the weird part. <laughs> he, that wasn't the weird part? Mm-mm. Okay. So another quote from this article He also told Strain that the poison pen letter she got wasn't nearly as bad as the first draft. Stunned, she hung hung up and didn't speak to him again for two years. So she had already written, she wrote one originally, and then it seems like he made her write another another one. one. And that's the one that he still okays. Now, did he have a a child with Lisa? No, no, they didn't have kids. He didn't have kids with his first wife either. They okay. were really young. They were like 21 when they, they married. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So you, well, you kind of get a good picture of this lady, right? Well, yeah. So let's talk about the incident on May 27th, 1998. On the evening of May 27th, 1998, Bryn was meeting with a producer writer. This person claimed that Bryn was fine and right in the head. Bryn returned to the couple's home, but an argument broke out between Phil and her. And according to reports, Phil threatened to leave her if she she didn't stop using drugs again. He went to bed shortly after. Then around 3 a.m. on May 28, 1988, Bryn went into Hartman's room and shot him twice in the head with a 38 caliber handgun. This is taken right from Wiki. Um, She was intoxicated and had recently taken cocaine. In later interviews, John Lovitz blamed Andy Dick for getting Bryn back on drugs and potentially causing all this pain. Andy Dick was one of his co-stars on news radio, um, and John was, like, Phil's best friend. And he was also one of the cast members in season 12 of SNL. So you'd think all this shit was over. Uh It's not. 
Bryn drove herself, still intoxicated, to her friend Ron Douglas's home and confessed to killing Hartman, but he didn't believe her. So they drove back to the couple's home to check on Phil. Oh. Not before Bryn called another friend and confessed to the murder as well. Ron yeah. went in. I know. Like, hi, it's me. Um, just wanted to let you know that I killed my husband. Okay, bye. <laughs> Like, no, 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 hey, what's happening? You want a drink? By the way, shot my husband twice in the head. No, really, he's in bed right now. You want to go check? Let's go for a ride. Right? Like Can we that- stop for ice cream on the way? <laughs> Yay! Ice cream soup. Um, <laughs> so, the police arrived. They escorted Ron out of the home, including, so this is the really, this is, this is the part where it, it breaks my heart to think that this happened the police also removed Bryn and phil's two children from the home they were actually sleeping when she killed phil oh boy it's yeah like it it chills me to the bone to think that they were like she left the home they were still there sleeping how old were they uh i believe uh bergen was Two. She was born in 1992 or 1993. Oh, maybe she would have been older. She would be five. Yeah. But Sean was like two years older than her. Okay. So, oh, so he was even like old enough to get up and walk into the room. Potentially. Nothing, nothing that I read stated yeah. that he actually did, but it just said that the kids were sleeping. That just breaks my fucking heart. Um, police remove the kids and Ron, but Bryn goes into the bathroom and locks herself in in there. She refuses to come out. Then Bryn takes the handgun that she had and the, the handgun that she killed Phil with yeah. and shoots herself in the right eye. Yeah. We lost a wonderful human that night, a very irreplaceable person who brought many years of laughter and fun to both TV and film. And it's really sad, like very, very sad. Uh, Phil's children were raised by uh, Bryn's sister and brother-in-law. And on the 40th anniversary special for Saturday Night Live, uh, Phil's daughter actually attended. And she was there in honor of him. And they did like a whole tribute thing for him as well. John Lovitz, who was his best friend, did a special tribute concert as well. Uh, so he was he was honored after his death a lot even to the point where in 2007 someone started a campaign on facebook trying to get the late actor on the canadian walk of fame and it worked on september 22nd 2012 hartman was inducted to the walk of fame and received the cineplex legends award i have no idea what the cineplex legends <laughs> award is sounds good though i take it sure it's an award yeah i think the canadian walk of fame was definitely deserved like yeah yeah um then on June 2013, it was announced he would receive a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, which was unveiled on August 26, 2014. Yay! Yeah. So uh, he received a Canadian Comedy Award. And actually, he was uh, in Rolling Stones magazine. He was named one of the te- top 10 um, cast members in the 40-year history of SNL. So that's a pretty big... Uh, that means a lot. Mm-hmm. Many, many articles I read said that the glue quote unquote the glue his nickname was the reason why season 12 actually worked they all were very they had great synergy the writing was really strong and and 
it's really sad to to know that his, his demise came at the hand of a woman who unfortunately had an addiction and didn't get help. That's true. Now, question. You mm-hmm. said she sh- shot herself in the eye. Yes. She's dead, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. She is dead. Yeah. You didn't say that, so I'm like, well, what if it was like on an angle and she just has no, no eye and sorry. she's still up there? For clarification, she unfortunately is not no longer with us and two kids don't have parents anymore. I think that's a sad, the, the big that's part horrible. of it. It is, yeah. So, you know, I wanted to say this in the end, like mental health is not a joke. Addiction isn't a joke. And if you are struggling, don't be afraid to reach out and get help. Like it's the best thing that you can do. I know it's hard to admit that you may have a, have an issue. I've been there. I've a hundred percent been there and it's the toughest thing. It fucking sucks. But the minute you sort of self-reflect and you go, I'm going to, I'm going to put someone else in harm's way. If I continue down this path, Yeah. you begin your healing there. Yes. You, you take baby steps and And it's okay to ask for help a lot of times people are so prideful Mm -hmm. and they keep thinking i don't need this i don't need that or i don't need medication listen that doesn't make you weak Mm -mm. if anything it makes you stronger that you went out and you tried to do something about it um i think that yeah that's so important be strong it's okay to say you know what i'm struggling right now Things aren't great right now. How can I fix it? And that's really important. Yeah. And I, I, it kills me to see people struggling yeah. and not wanting to get help. Oh, you're going to make me get yeah. all teary eyed. Cause I, know. I can like whatever, what Julie said, a hundred percent. Yeah. Sorry to, sorry to like add that to the end, but, mm. um, he should be remembered. And I think this is a lesson that we can we can learn from is yeah yeah and you know what's kind of nice uh, is that about the story if i could say is this story was about the victim Mm -hmm. and so many times so many times so yeah is that right yeah Yeah, okay i i agree with you uh you don't we don't know about the victim Mm -mm. we learn about horrible things that the murderer did and it's just interesting to take a positive spin i mean we happen he was somebody in the limelight and we happened to know who this person was. So we were able, you were able to do that. Um, it's just nice. It's nice to see, you know, our goal is to honor the victim, but sometimes we don't have the time or serial killers don't, they, there's too many in the sense, and we don't have the information behind it. Yeah. Right. And it's not one to really go pry and whatnot, you know, but yeah, well, that was, that was, Inform- informative. Thank you. I, I like thought that. it would be a different, a different spin. And, and I like, I want to respect the families a hundred percent. And, uh, you know, this was an interesting story for me to research. Cause I did, I, like, I grew up with Pee Wee's Playhouse and, you know, no longer having our Troy McClure in our life, life anymore. Uh, it's kind of sad. So, you know, um, to Phil's kids, like just know that I hope that I, I, did your father well well by talking about his story and um i hope that you know we can talk more about his wonderful legacy that he has brought to many many people years of laughter and stuff that's awesome it. thank you thank you jenna you're welcome yay all right <sighs> okay ready for a break yes yeah all right let's uh let's go refresh our tea I have, okay. I have to pee. So let's go for a TP break. Hello. 
welcome back from that break that you guys didn't take. No. I feel like we need to tell the truth here. Really? Yeah, I think we do. We never want to lie to our fans. We don't. Guys, this is a whole different day. (laughs) (laughs) We are so overbooked and overworked that we literally could not find time to sit down for an hour and a half or two hours to just record this. So we, (laughs) Jenna had to do her story two days ago, and now, two days later, I'm doing my story. But we're all going to put it in one episode, and you're going to think that it's one day. Ooh, the illusion of stuff. (laughs) Magic. The magic of editing. Podcast magic. (laughs) All right. Now it's my story. I'm excited. As you should be. I hope it's as exciting. Well, to continue my streak, I'm doing another girl. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I would like to introduce you to Lizzie Halliday. Ooh, Ooh this is new. Mm-hmm. So I got the information from Wikipedia, Lady Killers by Tori Telfer, New York History Blog, and yeah, I think that was it. So this is the art of deception, question mark? Ooh. Lizzie Halliday. Now, some of the dates don't fully... Like, there's not a 100% guarantee, so I'm going to give you some varying dates. She was born uh, between 1859 and 1864, all right? So we'll round it up to, like, maybe, or uh, whatever. doesn't matter. Around there. We'll say 1860. Her name was Elizabeth Margaret McNally. Uh, she was born in County Ant- Antrim, Ireland. Yes, I pronounce everything wrong. Who cares? As a child... Uh, she came over to New York State with her parents and her nine siblings. Once in, on American soil, she grew into a tempestuous... Oh, see, I wanted to look at this. Tempestuous adolescent? Yeah. Is that how you say it? Yeah, Because I, I know that that word, and I'm like, that's a perfect explanation for her, because I even looked it up to see if I could use another word, but no. Anyway, keep going. Uh, this is a quote. She was inclined so much to quarreling that the family all disowned her for years, said her brother John. She could not stay in a place any time when working on account of her violent temper. Holy shit. Yeah. So physically, um, no, I'm lying to you. She was highly physical. <laughs> I need a coffee. Uh, highly physical, unpredictable girl. She once attacked her father, and at another time, she sprang violently at her sister Jane. And when she returned home after a long absent, absence, absent, you know that word. Absent is also good. That, well, actually, I'm, did I have it? No, I didn't. I had the option to have it, and I said no. Well, I've got some. Uh, okay, can I, actually, can we rewind this and have some now and then get back to recording? <laughs> <laughs> I said rewind. So for those of you who are not born in the 80s or earlier, we used to have to do that on these things called VHS. They were like um, old school uh, Blu-ray uh, DVDs. Yes. That was you, accurate. That was very accurate. I liked it. Be kind. Rewind. <laughs> that's what the, That's what it said when you'd rent it from the Blockbuster. Anyway, yeah, so once she was gone for a while, uh, when she came back home, she found out that her father had passed away, and she flung herself onto his grave and began tearing away at the earth with her bare hands. Lizzie was short, but very strong. People would notice her muscular limbs, as well as her lovely, translucent Irish skin. But she also had a large nose and a very large forehead, in which drew mockery and even disgust by people. One of her neighbors said she has a repulsive face and the most peculiar nose she had ever seen. 
And one of her landlords said she was naturally ugly. That's not nice. Why? Why? Why would someone... That's not nice. No. No. But I guess it's that at the time, like, beauty was everything for women. So... You mean things have changed now, apparently? Uh, I think We got a little bit more, you know, girl power and... A little bit. Yeah. But yes, that's true. And at the time, you weren't, you didn't have to censor yourself. No. Like, if you were uggo, you were uggo, and you'd be, like, told. Yeah. You're not getting a husband with that face. The beauty is found within. Mm -hmm. And when the prince dismissed the old beggar woman again, her ugliness melted away to reveal beautiful enchantress. Where's that from? Okay. That's for you guys. Uh, So she wasn't educated, but she was cunning and was always on the hunt for money. Just another note, remember why female serial killers kill? Money and power. All right. Unfortunately, she was uh, she left poor impressions on many employers because she wore unusual clothes, she was subject to mood swings, and she just plain scared them. So pretty much, she was me. <laughs> what? No, not even. Uh, well, you know. All right. So once, uh, this is just a little, yeah. Once she threw a knife at a young man, who was teasing her. Another time, she spat in the face of a little girl. When an employer tried to correct her baking methods, methods, Lizzie went screaming to the nearest courthouse, claiming the employer had assaulted her. In fact, she was always popping up in court. She even tried to arrest two young boys who pointed their toy pistols at her. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> she tried to make a citizen's arrest on her own? I don't know. I would assume maybe she told somebody, but oh, at man. this point, who knows? This was in the 1800s. Um, But when her moon lifted, you would find her attending a Methodist church. All right. So in 1879, give or take, uh, when Lizzie was a teenager, she married an old Pennsylvanian man called Charles Hopkins, also known as Kestel Brown. He changed his name because he was an army deserter. Yeah. They spent their relationship locked in fear. Lizzie told her family that Brown wanted to murder her while Brown informed his doctor, I'm afraid of her. She has threatened my life. They had one son. After his birth, Lizzie was sent into a spiral of depression. She even visited her sister and complained that she heard nonstop singing and saw lights flashing around the room. And at one point, while she sat mending a dress, she said, What's the point of living and tore up the garment? Aww. I know. She's got postpartum depression. Yes. Like, I mean, she definitely, had, she definitely had issues before, but yeah. when I read that too, I thought, oh, she just needs help. Mental health, guys. Help. Very important. I need, I need somebody help. help. Not, Not just anybody. All right. In 1981, after Hopkins death, her husband, apparently from typhoid fever. Oh. I'm not saying anything. No, uh, the story of typhoid Mary is really an interesting one. We should... Uh, I actually it. know it. It's fantastic. Yeah, we have to do it one yeah, time. Yeah. Uh, she married a uh, pensioner named Ar- Artemis Brewer, mm. but he also died less than a year later. Her third husband, Hi- Hiram, 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 Parkinson, yeah. whoa, left her uh, within the first year of marriage. And then Lizzie went on to marry George Smith, her own husband number four, a war veteran who had served with Brewer, that was two husbands ago, uh, after a reported failed attempt to kill him by putting arsenic in his tea, Lizzie fled to Bellows Falls, Vermont, Vermont, and she married Vermont resident Charles Plaistow, but she vanished two weeks later. 
Holy shit! She had she had a busy time. Now all these men were a lot older than her. I, I okay? was just gonna they say were all, it yeah. sounds like they're pretty old. Now we don't know anything about Lizzie during this the next little period. We don't know where she went, we don't know what she did, but people can try to figure things out. Um, did she go traveling the world? Did she go back to Ireland? Perhaps London. Or more specifically, perhaps East London. But who knows? There is no record of her during this time. Wait, wait, wait. What year? So what year was 1888. this? 1888. Oh, no. Could she have been notorious Jack the Ripper? <gasps> A lot of people speculated this. See why I had to do this story? Okay, Jenna stood up. She's walked away from the mic. She's twirling. She's doing things. Things are happening. Could this be Joe the Ripper? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so... In 1888, we don't know which month, Lizzie all of a sudden resurfaced in Philadelphia. Uh, when she returned, uh, she turned up to, at a saloon on 1218 North Front Street that was run by the McQuillans, Margaret, Tom, and their teenage daughter, Sarah, which the McQuillans were her neighbors back in Ireland. So she didn't really know them, but they let her stay a short while. Now she's going by the name of Maggie Hopkins. That was the name of her first husband the last name of her first husband, the Hopkins. Um, so Lizzie set up shop, but was later convicted of burning it down for insurance money. Wow, this girl is a real <laughs> piece of work. She's got a lot going on. A lot. It's like nonstop with her. Uh, she also, when she burnt it down, also destroying several neighboring houses. She was sentenced to two years at the Philadelphia Philadelphia's Eastern State Penitentiary, which partway through, she was transferred to an asylum. Oh, well yes. then. Some of her erratic behaviors made people think she might have been insane. You don't say. <laughs> well, we'll keep talking. When Lizzie was released, she found out that her son had disappeared. She says, my boy is about 12 years old. She told reporters years later, I've never been able to find him since. Hmm. So... Oh, this here says 1889, which doesn't make sense if it's two years after. So, you know, again, like I was saying, it depends on when things are. Somewhere in the early 90s, we'll say. Now she's going by the name of Lizzie Brown. And we'll say she's probably 29 or early 30s. She made her way to Newburgh, where she met Paul Halliday. By the way, that's the name she goes as now. A twice-widowed 70s year old farmer living in Burlingham, New York. He had fathered six sons, one who still lived at home and was mentally, hen uh, mentally handicapped, but uh, Paul was looking for a housekeeper. Lizzie informed Halliday that she had just arrived from Ireland six weeks prior. They agreed to a salary of $40 a month. Ooh, that's really good. It's kind of a lot, I would think, at that time. Money. I didn't look up what it is, would be today. But before long, Halliday realized, hey, you know what's cheaper? If I just marry this woman, then she would work for me for free. He also thought that there was something oddly charming about her, and he didn't actually mind marrying her. So as the 29 to early 30-year-old, she married the 70-year-old, um, well, he proposed, and they began, began the relationship that his children described as one of peculiar influence. He just really loved her quirkiness. That's what Excessive it is. quirkiness. And her nose and her forehead. <laughs> Someone loves those ugly ones. I love it. I got a huge forehead. I feel you, Lizzie. I feel you. It's okay. 
Uh, Lizzie always brought trouble in her wake like an avenging angel, but no matter what it was, her husband never left her. In roughly 1891, Paul came home to find a heap of smoking ashes where his house once stood. Lizzie, who was standing by the ruins nonchalantly, informed him that his handicapped son had just been burnt to a crisp. She claimed the boy died trying to save her from the flames. That's so sweet. Wait, this story, however, was discredited by the fact that when they identified the son's bedroom door... Uh, like in the rubble, Mm -hmm. it was clearly locked, and Lizzie herself was holding the key. What? I know. There's, like, so many problems with this story, and it's just... Oh, my God. And you think back in the day, like, somebody who's... uh, Just... Anyway, I can't. We can't think about it. Yet, Paul stayed with her. Less than a month later, Lizzie burnt down his barn and mill, declaring that he needed a new one anyway, and then ran off with another man determined to become a horse thief. Once she reached Newburgh, her companion deserted her, and she was arrested and thrown back in jail, where she immediately began tearing out her hair and screaming at anyone who would listen. This pandemonium got her acquitted on grounds of insanity, and she was sent across the river to Matawan State Hospital for the criminally insane. Paul... (laughs) laughed at this and said Lizzie was, quote, perfectly sane, he insisted. And she, quote, she hoped by her present action to obtain immunity for her crimes. But the doctors at the asylum disagreed with him, they, and they kept her there for a year and then eventually released her back into Halliday's custody, saying that she was cured. Uh, what? No. The, no, 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 no. No, that's what they said. So the couple pushed through the marriage for another year. Wow. And then Paul Halliday disappeared. Lizzie told neighbors her husband was away on business, but some of them had noticed suspicious activity around the Halliday farm during like the past couple days. Eerie sounds, figures creeping about at night. Just something weird about her like in general. They just didn't trust her. So one day when Lizzie went out, for a little bit, they decided to search the Halliday farm and wondered, hmm, I wonder if I would find a body. Huh. They found two. Shut up. And not Paul Halliday's. <gasps> so, of course, somebody notified something, and sh- Lizzie had come home at that point. When the local constable and his crew arrived to search the house, they found her preoccupied with cleaning blood from the carpet. Upon spotting the man in the doorway, she sprang up, outraged, and threatened to kill them if they tried to enter her home. The constable ignored her, and Lizzie snatched up a board and smacked him on the hand, screaming (laughs) that she would cut his heart's blood out. Not fearing her, the men searched their premises. The house seemed empty, but the barn, not so much. Under a layer of garbage covered by a pile of hay, they found the bodies of Margaret and Sarah McQuillan. Remember the people that let her stay? That's yep. the mother and the oh teenage daughter. Oh my God. Their feet and hands were tied and their heads were wrapped in cloth. Both women had taken multiple bullets to the chest. At first, Lizzie shrugged off this awful as evidence saying, oh, that, that, that was something bad that happened. Like she had nothing to do with it. But soon enough, she began acting peculiar. She started picking at her clothes, claiming there were potato bugs crawling across her. Later, when a curious neighbor asked her about the discovery of the bodies, she refused to even look at him. But then she had a sneak look in her eyes and turned away. 
Slowly, a question began forming in the minds of everyone around her. It was a question people would ask her hope, Lizzie Hallidays for the rest of her life. Was she insane or was she faking it? Lizzie was arrested and hauled off to jail in Burlingham. While back at the Halliday farm, the search for bodies continued. Paul Halliday's surviving children were now sick with worry about the fate of their father. So one of his sons brought a friend and snuck into the farmhouse early one morning to see if the police had missed anything. When the two men reached the kitchen, they noticed something about the floorboards. They didn't match. They pried them up, and beneath the floorboards, the earth looked loose and fresh. So the men brought over a crowbar and sank it into the ground until it met resistance. But the object they hit was not firm, not a rock, not a brick. There was something soft down there. Thoroughly spooked, they ran and got back up. Okay, I just want to say this. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. That's all. That's good. That's incredible. That good. This is freaking me out. This is a great story. Soon enough, the son's worst fears were confirmed. Lizzie Halliday had buried their father under her kitchen, her own kitchen floorboards. The badly decomposed corpse of old Paul Halliday had multiple bullet wounds in the chest and had been struck hard on the head, so hard that his left eye was out of his socket. What? Remember, she was like ripped. This chick was like ripped. She was short but ripped. So on September 8th, 1893, Lizzie was shipped off to a second jail in Manticello? Manticello? Yeah, that sounds right. New York. So news of her crime had now spread throughout the entire region and her old house back in Newburgh, where the farm was, was stripped to the bones by morbid artifact hunters. I like how you said stripped to the bones, by the way. Yeah, stripped to the bones. Very yeah. fitting. But morbid artifact hunters or murderinos <laughs> of the time. Mm, <laughs> people. I like that. Mur- morbid artifact hunters. I'm going to use that again. Uh, so tons of people had lined the streets upon her arrival at the jail. Uh, she, she was hurried into her cell, but not without yelling loud shrieks so people could hear. She was a performative prisoner, but the public now thought it was a bit too much. With the screams, incoherent monologues, she tore at her clothes and ripped her blanket to pieces, refused to eat, and answered her questions very strangely and deranged-like. Plus, her behavior would happen when someone was watching. If you managed to catch a glimpse of her... When she was alone, she would be sitting and lost in her thought. The apparent picture of sanity. September 12th, the New York Times declared definitively, Mrs. Halliday not insane. By November 7th, the headlines cried, Mrs. Halliday was insane. No one can make up their mind. In those days, but also I laughed when I said, I'm like, well, kind of today too, the public uh, instinctively distrusted any plea of insanity. They believed that it was usually fraudulent and made up so that they can go free. Bullshit. Well, you know, it's like temporary insanity or that kind of thing, right? Like, you know, anyway. So one woman decided herself if Lizzie was, she wanted to know if she was insane or she was trying to use the insanity dodge. Her name was Nellie Bly. She was a female reporter who was already famous for investigating women's uh, lunatic asylum uh, on Blackwell's Island and the shocking baby buying trade in New York City, which we're just going to have to. That's a whole other podcast. She used her celebrity status to get a two part interview with Lizzie. And in October, she faced the triple murderer in her cell. The cell was decorated with lingerie models and political figures that had been torn out of magazines. 
She also had a little tin can with flowers on her windowsill. You know, just a little homey touch. So sweet. <laughs> it took a while to have her open up about the McQuillan's murder, but uh, she would, so yeah, sorry, she would blab about finances. But then when Bly finally got her to open up, she made up a tale about the night of the murders, claiming that she had been drinking moonshine and eating bread and butter with Paul Halliday and the three McQuillans when out of nowhere, someone chloroformed her. While Lizzie was out cold, this mysterious person managed to kill both Paul and both McQuillan women. Uh, sorry, Paul and both McQuillan women. And when Lizzie woke up, she had no idea anything bad had even happened. She also m- admitted to uh, back of the fire in Philly. Remember, she burnt down that, that saloon or shop. How she was there and saw the whole thing go down, but she had nothing to do with it. And she didn't want to say anything because she was scared. So she's she's putting herself in these positions, in these situations, in the moments, but apparently knows nothing. And so the second interview Bly had with her, she told a different story. She left out the part about her being chloroformed, and she said it was a gang that that did it. She was outside of her house watching everything from the window. She was feeding Bly lies and eventually getting nothing from Lizzie. Bly snapped at Lizzie, telling her, quote, I believe that you alone and unaided killed your husband and the McQuillan women and buried them. I don't believe that you were ever insane one moment in your life and that you are the shrewdest and most wonderful woman criminal in the world has ever known. Lizzie smiled at her. Uh, then Bly pu- just smiled at her. And then Bly pushed harder to get a confession out of Lizzie. And she said, some other time. My head feels bad now. Also telling Bly, God will send you back to me. And with a chill down her spine, Bly left the prison and didn't go back. Understandable. Well, yeah. Holy shit. I like good for her to stick up for herself and like tell call this woman out, but ugh. Yeah. Uh, so Lizzie grew increasingly violent as she waited for her trial. She attacked the sheriff's wife. She removed steel shanks from her soles of her heavy boots and tucked them away to be used as weapons. And she tried to set her jail cell on fire. She also went on hunger strikes. And when none of that got her release, she tore a strip of cloth from the bottom of her dress and tried to hang herself from the door of her cell. By the time the sheriff cut her down, her eyes were bulging, but she was still breathing. Five days after the attempted hanging, she smashed the window of her cell and lacerated her throat and elbows with the shard of glass. The sheriff found her sitting on the bed covered in blood, and she told her doctors, I thought I would cut myself to see if I would bleed. (laughs) After this event, she was chained to an iron ring that jutted from the middle of her cell floor. I mean, you got human rights, but then at the same time, like, what are you going to do? She's hurting herself. And, and because of the times, too, like, they probably have limited resources and being oh, yeah. like, but I'm surprised she wasn't just strapped down to her bed, yeah, really. Like, or lobotomized. Why? Yes. Like, that to me. Well, because she's waiting for trial, right? So, oh, yeah. That, okay, that makes sense. Because usually in this, these cases, they would immediately get electrocuted or electroshock therapy or, or lobotomized because that was a big thing around this time. Oh yeah, you should. There's a really great podcast called Sawbones. I highly recommend it, and uh, they sort of debunk medical science. And they do an episode on lobotomy. You should. You you would really like it. Because I thought that started later in the '90s, but I don't know about it. In the it was like early early 1900s. I can't remember exactly. I'll I'll, maybe I'll look it up and tell. Just tell you. I will only tell you. Okay. Nobody else can just freaking Google it. (laughs) So skeptics continued to insist that it was all an act. 
Why else would she have hung herself from the door moments before she knew the sheriff would be passing by? Others thought her suicide attempts were all too real because Lizzie thought her trial was imminent. Uh, It was actually being postponed, but nobody was telling her this. And this was almost uh, Christmas time at this point. So her trial began on June 18th. Of course, her lawyer was fighting for the insanity defense. Uh, People also lined the streets to get a glimpse of this murderess. The defense even agreed with all the evidence, the bullets matching the gun and stuff like that, uh, but tried to say that the blood in the carpet she was cleaning was in fact her period blood because she wasn't a very clean or hygienic person and didn't take the usual precautions taken by women. women. Oh my God. Because that's what you do. You just stand on top of your carpet and leave yourself bleed out. Uh, her lawyer knew he couldn't prove Lizzie innocent, but thought he could prove that she didn't know right from wrong because one, she was insane. And two, there was no motive for the crimes, which provoked like, uh, like, especially for the McWillan women's, like there's no real motive. So obviously that's got to mean she's insane. Uh, he brought in previous doctors, jailers, and asylum at superintendents that she had been with before. And they all claimed that she was insane. She kept her act up throughout the whole trial. Multiple physicians would stop by to evaluate her, one saying she is, sh- she is shamming and is overdoing the art. The prosecution was saying how she was completely sane. She was able to keep appointments, feed the horses, and otherwise function in like society. The jury only took a few hours to get their conclusion, and Lizzie Halliday was not that she, Lizzie Halliday was not insane in the slightest and was guilty of murder in the first degree yes the next day miss halliday to die ran the headlines in the paper death by electric chair it was the first time a woman had ever received this sentence yay woman equality (laughs) (laughs) because the last one they didn't even put her to death because she was a woman nanny doss right well shit now the public all of a sudden changed their opinion and the death penalty didn't sit well with them so they they started the petition started rolling in they didn't want women to be put to death because that was too harsh so then long story short the governor roswell pettibone flower agreed to have her retested and appointed three doctors to take a long hard look at lizzie halliday's psyche Papers applauded this decision as a humane act. So for the month of July, as she waited to die, the doctors examined her. They noted rapid pulse, extreme emaciation. Is that how you say it? Skinniness. Uh, Symptoms of diabetes, which I don't know why that was in. Excessive menstrual flow. Again, why does that come up again? I don't know. Um, She stuffed bits of her dress in her nose and her ears. She seemed numb all over. Flies would crawl across her face and she didn't brush them off. Doctors pricked her with a knife and she didn't flinch she drooled constantly her nose dripped she cursed at everyone without being provoked she kept repeating the number 13 and she seemed to think that there was a river running outside of her uh, her cell door <laughs> she's just a lady who has a co- really bad cold all i can picture is her going you see here I've got a river running from my cell and it's what, making noise. She, might, she, ha- she might have an Irish accent. Oh. I don't know. Well, she came over. There's a river running oh. out in front of my, <laughs> my cell here and I don't want it anymore. You turn that bloody uh, river off for me now, don't you? Oh, uh, so, I don't murder. I mean, I, I feel like it sounds like a man. I just blood on my floor. It's fine. It looks great. I wanted a red carpet anyways. <laughs> yeah. So gross. 
oh my god, this is incredible. Okay. Um, that was Jenna's Irish accent. If you want to complain about that, please email her. I'm uh, so sorry. <laughs> no, I, I enjoyed it. It was humorous to my person. Uh, and she would also ramble nonsense. So the doctors say that she was intelligent and had the intelligence to plan and execute murders, but also noted the inability to resist impulse. They eventually deemed her insane, and she, she was saved from the chair and was sent to the state criminal asylum at Matawan and locked up for life. Good. Oh, the story's not done, Jenna. Oh, fuck. Lizzie thrived at the asylum after the superintendent sat her down and told her she had to behave as she wanted to be treated well at this hospital. So she did. She stopped acting irrationally, stopped cursing at the doctors, and she even threw herself into uh, sewing projects. But at the end of 1895, she began plotting again. She made a friend with another homicidal patient named Jane Shannon. And they both didn't like this attendant named Kate Wood, a word, Kate Ward, Ward, my God, word. I'm seeing it, but my lips are not saying it. Kate Ward, um, like the word, a word. Anyway, whatever. One day, they attacked her by pushing her onto the floor of the bathroom. While Shannon held her down, Lizzie ripped out her hair, scratched at her face, and hit her. By the time another attendant realized what was happening, Kate was unconscious. But luckily, they showed up while she was still alive. Lizzie did time in solitary confinement, but eventually was let back into regular life at the asylum. Now, Nellie Wicks was one of the best attendants at Matawan. At only 24, she was promoted to head attendant of the woman's department. I mean, her dream was to go back to school for nursing, but she kept this to herself for a while. Uh, one of her star patients was no other but Lizzie Halliday, oh who is now... In her mid-40s, Lizzie had become so calm and reliable that she was given full sewing privileges, which meant she had access to the whole basket of materials, fabrics, thread, scissors. Occasionally, she'd mutter death threats, but the entire asylum just like learned to ignore her because she never acted on them anymore. By autumn 1906, Wicks announced that she was leaving the asylum, that, that nurse, to study and train as a nurse. Lizzie was heartbroken and begged her not to leave. As the day, days of Wicks' departure drew closer, Lizzie went from begging to threatening her to stay, and she said she would rather kill her than see her go. What? Mm -hmm. oh, no, no, no. Wicks knew that the two of them had a special bond, and Lizzie would never actually harm her, so she had nothing to worry about. One morning, as Wicks walked into the bathroom, Lizzie crept in behind her, clutching a pair of scissors. Lizzie struck Wicks hard on the head, and when Wicks fell down, Lizzie grabbed her keys and locked the door from the inside. No, 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 no. Lizzie proceeded to stab Wicks over 200 oh, times in the face, the neck, and, as I quote, where it would do the most good, the heart. Attendants heard her screams, but by the time they broke down the door, it was too late. She was unconscious, bleeding heavily, and she died 20 minutes later on a cot. Instead of becoming a nurse, she earned an unfortunate fame that she was now the first known United States female law enforcement officer to be killed in the line of duty. When Lizzie asked why she'd done it, she replied, she tried to leave me. I know. Oh my God, I'm like, I'm, I'm flabbergasted right now. Like, I, this is un, un, unbelievable. 
So it's just like she's so young and I, I mean I know we don't know a lot about the other stuff but then when you know a little bit about she's so young and she's like no I'm going to become a nurse and then yeah. especially as a woman as a woman too like back then yes to, yeah to have goals and to be like the like the head of the female department was huge that's a big freaking deal so Lizzie was not like most female serial killers. She killed like a man. Most female killers use poison, as we know, not physical violence to kill those closest and, and to kill those closest to them. Not Lizzie, though. She stabbed, shot, bludgeoned, and killed some people she barely knew. So of course there drew a comparison to Jack the Ripper. Even her appearance confirmed the idea that she was somehow um unfemale. Hmm. Interesting. Yes. I, that's an interesting case to make against this woman she was seen yeah she was seen as squalid savage wild as a hawk then said friendless as a cat i'm like don't cats have friends friendly sometimes (laughs) and bleeding openly onto the carpet letting bugs crawl all over her face so they're saying you know what she wasn't just non-female she was like non-human yeah by the sounds of it like this is not a, uh, a normal person no but on June 28th, 1918, poor, mad, shrewd Lizzie Halliday died of Bright's disease. Aw, muffin. This is the perpetual inflammation of the kidneys. I didn't oh, know what it was. I didn't know that. She was 58 years old and had been in the asylum for almost half of her life. None of her relatives claimed her body, so she was buried in the asylum cemetery where the graves are marked only by numbers. Oh, that's creepy. Decades later, as the asylum closed down, after years of being in headlines in the paper, Lizzie lies beneath a nameless gravestone overrun with grass and flowers. Oh my God. That is Lizzie Halliday. And can we please go see that old, I don't even know if it's still standing, asylum. Yes. Okay, let's, let's take go. a trip. I was like, let's go to her grave. Let's go to the asylum. Yeah. <gasps> we wouldn't know which one her grave was because... Matter. It's just numbers. We'll just assume but all of them. I'm sure all of them that are there. Oh my know. god, that was bone chilling. That was a great story. There was so much information from her. I had never heard of her. No, and then either. there's like all these other stories. I'm like, what do I put? Oh my gosh! And it, it's like the story ended. You thought like when you know you find Paul Halliday, but then that's really just the tip of the iceberg yeah. in the sense of like all oh, this whole. She went on to these crazy like everything she did in in jail, but she would always do like these insane things when people were watching. Yeah. And even before, like, she was like, oh, no, I don't know anything about the two McQuillan women. Like, I know nothing. And then all of a sudden, it's, they start pointing at her like, well, that's weird. Why wouldn't you know? And then all of a sudden, she's got to pick off her bugs off her dress. And, you know, like, she's put, it's like, if she is insane, is it triggered by, like, stress or whatnot? Or some or, of them are Or saying, just narcissism. Like, almost, yeah. almost <clears throat> where it's like, if I'm not getting a certain level of attention right now, you're looking at me. I I'm so amazing. Here I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it ten times right, more. Right. I don't know. This is her behavior would be a very interesting case to study. Yes. Like, the psychology of her. This is this is fucked. <laughs> like I don't even th- that. Oh my god. No, it's it, it's it's true. Like it's I'm reading it and I I, I would even ha- change my opinion. Like. Well, first of all, I think like if you can kill anybody, there's something off yes. in you in general. Can you plead the insanity? I don't know. Like, if you can make decisions, then that to me, you're making decisions, right? Um, and yeah, and then there's also talk like we don't actually know if she's killed any of her husbands because some of them died fairly early, and then she did try to kill one of them yeah. with arsenic. So 
Could that have happened? The other ones? She never admitted anything to that. Well, once, once a killer, <laughs> always a killer. Isn't that the thing? I think that's what cheaters do. <coughs> There's a hair on. There is a the hair. Windscreen. Oh, it's Bowie's hair. God damn it, Bowie. Got it. <clears throat> wow. Well, that was our three-day episode. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. It really was. Man, your story was awesome. What a good one to end on. Was it? I can't even remember what your story was. Uh, Phil Hartman. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, yes. That's right. Oh, that Phil was Hartman. Yeah, that's right. Right. Well, okay. And next week is Halloween. Ooh. Ah! <laughs> that was good. Oh. But we're, our, sh- our episode is going to be released the day after. No. Yeah. The day after yeah. Halloween. Yeah. But. We'll still talk about it. Well, excellent. We got to uh, yeah, we gonna have, wrap it up now. We have to make like trees and leave. leave. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we will see you guys. At, well, you'll hear us next week. You won't see us. Maybe you'll see us. Who knows? Maybe you'll see us on the street hanging out. Yeah, what's chilling. up? Yeah, say hi. What did we um, say? Oh, yeah, email us. I already said that last time. You'll, yeah. get, you'll get a personal, you get a shout out if That's you email right. us. If you, if you email us or have any feedback, we'll, we'll give you a little bit of a shout out. We're trying to if like... If you give us negative feedback, you're not getting no shout no, out. No, no. No negative criticism, only positive. Find positive in everything. In the way you say your negativity. Yes. That's, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Just want to let you know that you're... Actually, you learn. You need to learn how to speak English like a little bit better. I'll be like, dude, I barely know how to speak French too. I just can't speak. Especially when we're on, we have off days. Today's a bit of an off. Day. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But you know what? Before this, I got super psyched. Yeah. I was pumped. I, I was really excited. I, I did like a whole 180. I, yeah. It's good. But good. Uh, yeah, you guys can reach us at uh, artofmurderpodcast at gmail.com. Or check us out on Instagram at the Art of Murder Instagram account. Like yeah, the, the, the Art, Art of, murder. of Murder. So like at symbol, the mm-hmm. Art of Murder. Yeah. Search us on Facebook, the Art of Murder. Um, like us, review us, subscribe to yeah. us, and yeah. tell your friends, your families, your neighbors, your aunties and uncles. That's your family, um, and everybody, and random yeah. people on the street. Yeah, tell people if you tell random people on the street about us, and you tell us that you did that. We'll give you like extra props. Like we're going to give you thumbs up. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Because if our (laughs) listeners go from like six to like 12, you just like totally made our day. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. All right, guys, you rock. Thank you. And I think that's it. That's right. So let's toast it up. Yeah. Ambient toast. (laughs) (laughs) That was perfect. How did we mess that up? That was the the one time we're ever going to have like a perfect ending. Okay. I'm just going to have to copy and paste that every single time. You will. We just won't even like. Like, yeah. Yeah. All right. What time is it? It's time to teach a class. Mm-hmm.